CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is The Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on The Hash for your ears. You're listening to The Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello, good morning or good afternoon. I'm Will Foxley. Today, you are watching The Hash on Coindesk TV. I'm joined today by Chrissy Harkin, editor-at-large at Coindesk, and David Z. Morris, chief insights columnist, also at Coindesk. Zach and Jen are away, enjoying being away from screens for today. So you got the three of us. Stick around. We're going to go to our first story for the day, talking about Paxful, which is this breaking news. Just found out in the last hour that Paxful has decided to shut down temporarily. According to Ray Youssef, the co-founder and CEO of Paxful, they're going to temporarily suspend the marketplace. You are able to still claim your funds from the marketplace, but they've decided to wind things down due to a lack of key staff members and regulatory uncertainty. This follows, of course, other exchanges closing a little prior year in the wake of FTX and the continued pressure on peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchanges. Notably, local Bitcoins also shut down within the last 12 months. Christy, I feel like this is a story that really we should get some comments from you on. It does seem like it's harder and harder to run an exchange in a peer-to-peer manner that a lot of people would like to buy their Bitcoins at. Yeah, I'm really sad about this, honestly, because I think that Paxful has been doing some very interesting stuff since, I mean, these are this is kind of an OG sort of exchange that's been going on. It's peer-to-peer, it's Bitcoin, and they've been instrumental in encouraging Bitcoin adoption in Latin America and Africa, really going after the market of people who really need Bitcoin and access to Bitcoin. So one of the things that Ray Youssef, the CEO, has said in his post is that the the issues have been linked to um, the marketplace, but also they've had some issues within the company and losing some key figures, and it's just been hard for them to keep going. That's the deal with them. They are going to be allowing withdrawals. They are trying to go about it responsibly from, you know, as far as I can tell. Last week, they announced that they were going to be refunding customers of their Paxful Earn program who lost funds in Celsius because the funds that were tied up of theirs in Celsius were considered by the courts to be part of the bankruptcy materials. So they couldn't access their funds. So Paxful decided they would just refund the customers themselves. So yeah, this I think it's kind of a, a sad day for Bitcoin peer-to-peer marketplaces. Yeah, I think we also just need more key information. And Ray Youssef in his note did say that he's not able to speak fully on what is actually occurring here. 
at this moment. So we could be waiting a little bit. And in the meantime, I guess we can guess or speculate based on what we've seen with past enforcement actions. The SEC, the CFTC, and other regulators here in the States are certainly cracking down on many different exchanges. We talked yesterday about Japan cracking down on some exchanges as well. And this is really just being a a global thing at this point where most exchanges are getting slapped on the wrist, if not shut down entirely. For a peer-to-peer exchange like Paxful or similar concepts, the bar is even higher, right? Because there's not really a central entity in this whole organization besides the software that is connecting peers on it. So for those who don't really know what a peer-to-peer exchange is or haven't used one before, it's basically a software program that connects people in two different areas together who want to buy and sell Bitcoin or another cryptocurrency. And you're able to do that because the software matches you with another person. A lot of centralized exchanges... You know, they have the ability to coordinate and KYC users, something like Paxol. I believe there was KYC in this instance, but for the most part, it was it was pretty loose. And it was just like, again, peer to peer trading. <laughs> A lot of regulators don't like these things. And that's why they've gone after them. And also, I think it's worth pointing out that a lot of these peer to peer exchanges have poor liquidity versus other crypto exchanges. And as we see centralized exchanges rise, we're going to see more of these peer-to-peer marketplaces be driven out because all the money just runs towards the uh, more liquid marketplaces. For Paxil especially, like there was times where price of Bitcoin and Paxil was far off of other exchanges. And that's not something you want as an exchange. I think it does show you some like adoption metrics in certain countries where people are willing to bid up the price of Bitcoin or dump the price of Bitcoin down. But for the most part, it really hurts your ability to garner new users. So I think that's one key element that can't be lost in here. And to the regulatory standpoint, I think we're going to have to wait for like the geofencing questions, stuff like that. But mm-hmm. Christy, I'll throw it back to you for one final thought. Well, one thing I want to do for sure is plug the fact that Coindesk is following this story and there will probably be more developments and uh, more information coming uh, in the next, probably maybe even the next few hours. So keep an eye open for that. And yeah, I I think, David, you had one thought that I think you wanted to add. Just very quickly, because we need to go on to the next story. But um, I guess I'll I'll actually transition myself to that. We just to be clear, you know, and, and Will, tell me if I'm wrong, but was Paxful Bitcoin only? No, they had a few different assets. Uh, they actually okay. took a lot of heat recently because they did delist Ethereum and some other tokens like that. But there were stable coins, there's Bitcoin, and there might have been a few so others. So just to, to put a flag up, like there is a difference between what's going on with Coinbase and, and apparently maybe the Paxful action was based on them trading other assets. But Bitcoin only trading, to my understanding, should still be regulatorily safe. So uh, I, I hope that's not what got shut down here. Our next story, we have uh, we go into the scum and villainy section of the show, which is going to last, I think, for the rest of the show. Um, and this is uh, Kyle Davies and Suzu of Three Arrows Capital have finally opened their derivatives trading exchange where you can trade claims on bankruptcies that they caused. Um, so this is, uh, you know, a, a lot to say about this. Uh, OPX is the name of the exchange. These guys are neither intelligent nor trustworthy. Anybody who has chosen to back them in this, put their name down on a list, don't do business with them. This is a bad thing, a bad idea run by bad people. That's me editorializing. I'm an opinion editor. I can say that stuff. I guess the other two of you can say whatever you feel safe saying. Chrissy, take it away. Yeah. Okay. So this this is the most bizarre kind of exchange that I've ever seen. I know that in the uh, the days of the mailbox insolvency hearings, when you know when all kinds of nobody knew what was going to happen with mailbox creditors, whether anybody was ever going to see any of their money, that there were claims being sold and traded 
but there wasn't, I don't think, a centralized place where you could actually do that and swap them for other things that you might not ever see money for. It's like taking your lottery tickets and going to a lottery exchange party where you all kind of go, here, I think my lot of 649 is going to be better than your Powerball. So maybe we'll swap those up and charge somebody who's holding the party for the opportunity to like giving, giving them money so that you can all meet in their living room. I don't know. But it just sounds like bad bets being exchanged for bad bets and who's going to be left holding the worst bets at the end of the day. Will, what do you think? I somewhat agree with you, but I also have a somewhat of a counter take here. And that is that there have been enough chapter 11s within the cryptocurrency industry. I mean, even like the OGs were really caught up in these things with Mt. Gox to the point where I think this might be a useful instrument. And it's unfortunate that the two people that really are despised right now uh, and will probably be forever despised in the crypto industry are the ones creating this whole exchange. Um, there's some things that we can critique, like there has an exchange token, which like not my favorite thing is being slapped down pretty heavily right now from like regulators and like typically from a price standpoint, they don't do very well. But I, I have to say like there's enough chapter 11 things out there. And if we do believe in tokenizing everything, well, then you're going to have to tokenize chapter 11 claims. And that's what's going to occur. And to have like a marketplace to be able to move these things around might be useful for some people, right? Because like, if you need liquidity on your chapter 11 claim and you don't want to wait 10 years, a la Mt. Gox, well, then you might be able to sell it to someone else who has lower time mm-hmm. preference and can just you know, sit on that claim for a while. But David, you might yeah. have a separate take. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was going to walk back that one aspect of my unhinged rant, which is that it's, it's not inherently a bad idea. Everything else about it is bad. But you know, in yeah. most markets, if you have a bankruptcy claim, then there is going to be some kind of pathway to hand that off to uh, somebody else to take over the the debt. And yes, Will's right that like people in certain situations might find this useful and convenient. I'm glad you mentioned the exchange token because uh, for somebody to launch an exchange token in April of 2023 <laughs> um, is just a gargantuan red flag and goes beyond like distrust of these individuals to create a structural reason to believe that this could be somebody planning an outright fraud. And, you know, I'm not saying it's fraud. I'm saying that if you have an exchange token that you launch fresh in this year, it is bold. I'll say that. I'll say bold. The other thing to flesh out, you know, I'm I'm only withdrawing one part of my rant, so I'm going to flesh out another part of it, which (laughs) is that Suzu and Kyle Davies are not smart people. And so it's important for people to keep this in mind as they're considering whether to be involved with this. Remember, Three Arrows Capital blew up in large part because they gave $200 million to Do Effing Kwan. And Do Kwan is now in custody in, you know, the Balkans and could be there for a while and will eventually go to trial elsewhere. He's going to make a world tour of standing up for his crimes. And Suzu and Kyle Davies thought that his pyramid scheme was real. Or even worse, they realized that it was a pyramid scheme and thought that they could get out before it collapsed. So these are guys who enjoy playing dumb games. Suzu also thought that Bitcoin would continue going up forever, did not recognize that we were in a bubble. They don't even understand the market. They're not from crypto, for one thing. So, okay, I'll cut myself off there. Christy, take over. Bring us home. Is there anything good here? Well, I think it's really great that we're reporting on this story so that we can shed some light on who the uh, people behind it are, because that's always a big deal, which, you know, you have very clearly laid out. Who are we talking about when we're talking about the founders of OPNX? And are these the kinds of people that you want to 
trust in any way with your funds, whether those are bankruptcy claims that are going to, you know, ever see the light of day or not. Do you really want to do business with them and you want to bolster them? So yeah, like we were saying, a lot of chutzpah on their part to uh, actually come out and, and try and pull this off. But that's what we're here for is to let people know who they are and who yeah. they might be dealing with. So, yeah. And it is chutzpah, but they also don't necessarily have a ton of options. Let's remember that. The yeah, only okay. people hated more than them in crypto right now are definitely Sam Bankman fried right? Like Do Kwan, bit of a clown, bad actor, uh, screw up, patsy maybe. But these guys and SBF are malevolent, frankly, and, and have no, nothing good going for them in terms of their intent. I do wonder, Will, did you catch anything about the, the home base? What's the jurisdiction going to be? Are they willing to do anything outside of Dubai or are they just in their castle now ready to defend against law enforcement? I believe they're in the Seychelles, but we'll have to leave this course of grift for another day. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, the most important conversation in crypto and Web3, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer creators, builders, founders, brand leaders, entrepreneurs, and more. Use code THEHASH to get 15% off your pass. Visit consensus.coindesk.com or check the link in the show notes. Obviously, the uh, big news of yesterday and continuing on into today is that Elon Musk is playing games with people's lives again in the form of putting the Dogecoin logo in the place of the Twitter logo and triggering a pretty significant run-up in the value of Dogecoin, which is a meme coin that has since given birth to a uh, plethora of others, including Shiba Inu. It is uh, basically a clone of Bitcoin that has value for question mark reasons. And, uh, and Elon Musk has been fascinated and perhaps obsessed with it since 2019, since well before he bought Twitter, now at least temporarily. And last time I checked this morning, the Doge icon has replaced the Twitter bird. It has flipped the bird, as uh, Christy put it during the break. So what do we think about this? Is he promoting cryptocurrency, Will? Mm, yeah, there is some odd timing, right? Gary Gensler on April Fool's Day did drop the deal with it glasses onto his profile picture, which a lot of people took as a slight towards crypto. It's kind of a crypto-esque meme. So maybe he did mm -hmm. have some points. And then two days later, we saw Elon Musk, who holds Bitcoin, holds Dogecoin, holds Ether, change the Twitter picture to the Doge symbol. So there might be something there, right? But it's all speculative. This does go back to some like tweets from Elon from like two years ago or so, talking with another large account, talking about purchasing Twitter and then changing the Twitter symbol to the Doge symbol. Also might be just like Elon has a quirky sense of humor or trying to have a sense of humor. I don't really know here. And he followed up on that and thought it'd be like great content. And I think that's the point of every millionaire or billionaire, right? Like at some point, they just want to be a content creator. And so that's sort of what he's doing here. That's my take on it. That being said, like Doge pumped 30% on this news, which is a pretty good pump for tokens during a bear market, but is nothing like the uh, eye bleeding moves we saw just two years ago. Christy, your thoughts? Yeah, I think he got bored one day and just wanted mm. to hear this will be fun for the lulls. And, uh, and that's what he did. And, you know, you ended up with the whole play stupid games, win or lose a whole basket full. <laughs> and censor myself so many times there, full of, uh, of, of money. And 
I think that what we were seeing in the markets as a result, um, we were talking today about on Coindesk about how the futures liquidation jumped to 26 million. And there were a lot of liquidations going on and bets Mm -hmm. and longs. um, People are betting long and betting short in pretty much equal numbers. So yeah, like, the, the fallout has really, really impacts people when he does this yeah. kind of crap. So, yeah. Yeah. David? And let's talk about the slightly longer term fallout here, which is when you make a move like this, um, I think that there are a lot of people who are very ready to think that this is Elon Musk signaling that Doge will somehow be integrated into some product, maybe will become part of some Twitter backend. I think the chances of that are vanishingly small and, and effectively zero. I mean, Doge is a proof of work mined coin that has, you know, relatively slow transaction speeds and just doesn't have that much utility for something like Twitter. And well, Christy, Christy might, might rebut me in a minute, but I think that the point here is that the, the huge run up that we saw, and it's also important to keep in mind the context, right? During the pandemic, Doge ran almost to like 50 cents. And the uh, bump that we got yesterday of 30% took it to about 10 cents. So it's still trading about 80% below where it was when Elon first pumped it. And that's what happens when you have these social signals coming from a very powerful individual who doesn't actually plan to back them up in any way. You just get these ephemeral pumps that collapse back down. For reference, Bitcoin is, you know, 50% down from, from its peak. So, you know, Doge holders got wrecked way harder than others in the last cycle. Christy, you wanted to get in before we lose time on this story. Just real quick. Also, it, I, I wasn't about to disagree with you there. I was about to add the fact that if Dogecoin is a proof of work clone of Bitcoin that has not had nearly the development or scaling opportunities on it. And if it were suddenly, you know, like unit of transaction, getting hundreds and hundreds of millions or whatever of transactions a day, it would have some serious technical problems. Yeah. It, when, when, it, when it started pumping, it had like, what, seven developers who were checking in on it once in a while, as mm-hmm. opposed to, you know, a really thriving uh, developer ecosystem, which I think has improved somewhat. And they've actually been like, hey, maybe we should check out the code and see if there's anything wrong with it these days. But <laughs> I don't know if it's, if it's at a technical level that it would be able to support being yeah. adopted widely at this point. Fair so, enough. Let's go to our last story for the day, though. Christy, we got more stuff from you. Yeah, more more weirdness. This is the day of the weirdness. Yesterday, another thing that happened was that Binance's BNB token and Bitcoin tumbled after the crypto personality Kobe took a wild guess at whether or not uh, CZ Binance's CEO had been issued, there had been a red notice issued for his capture. Now, Kobe didn't actually say this and put it out on Twitter in a way that people were ever supposed to read. He was essentially making a note to himself in a public forum for future reference, should it come true, and he encrypted it. He All he did was um, publish this long string of gobbledygook that was, in fact, a hash key so that later, if in fact the rumor that he had gotten wind of was true, then he'd be able to go back and say, oh, look, see, I had actually, I'm, you know, I have proof that I predicted this. And he's claiming that somebody essentially got a hold of his seeds somehow and uh, managed to decrypt the message. And then it got out in the wild and all heck broke loose. Now, of course, the uh, CEO of, of Binance, not CEO, but a spokesperson, the strategy officer walked it back, said it was BS. And 
then proposed his own piece of whatever um, that a law enforcement agent was illegally leaking elements of a case file through encrypted messages and blah, blah, blah. So, David, I know you've got lots to say about this. I want to talk about the Hillman tweet in more depth in a yeah. minute because he actually did not dismiss the, the, the claims. I mean, it's really wild. But yeah, speaking of liquidations, you know, this, this, uh, this coded message that Kobe put out there basically so that he could like do a touchdown dance if it actually came true later on. This got unencrypted and people opened up huge shorts because obviously if, if CZ gets arrested, the market is going to take a hit. When it turned out that this, I mean, the headline we're seeing is that BNB rebounds. We saw a dip, but then when it turned out that this was not, you know, based on any reality, uh, things rebounded and those shorts got annihilated from what I'm seeing. And so, you know, it's a real lesson here about rumors. Kobe is obviously very influential, uh, but he is also just a guy who's on Twitter having fun. And so you really have to be careful about these signals and, uh, and understand the context, right? Like people, I think, probably mistook this for some like secret knowledge that he actually had rather than just a rumor. And so that is a misjudgment that they're now literally paying for. Will, what do you think about this? Yeah, the whole thing was a little bit unfortunate. Uh, it does look from what we've seen with Kobe's statements afterwards and a few other people who posted some context here. It looks like some of the key pieces of information needed to be able to brute force hack the SHA-256 algorithm were out there. Uh, and someone was able to do that, basically back engineer it and figure out what the statement was. Once that statement was found, it was published on Twitter, which caused crypto prices to go all over the place. Just like the Dogecoin story we talked about two seconds ago, well, these crypto markets are very volatile. And someone who is perceived as in the know has information and it's published on Twitter. We see prices respond accordingly. Mm -hmm. The great thing about this is most people forget about it in a week. So I don't think we'll be talking about it in a week unless there is some sort of regulatory action against CZ and Binance, which according to Binance, there's nothing going on right now. That Patrick Hillman tweet was a little weird, to say the least. And maybe we can get back to that in a second. But it was a little bit of an odd take. I think just overall, though, this is going to be like a story that we forget about in a little bit. Kobe was doing his typical thing, right? He's done this many times in the past, but someone leaked the information needed to brute force whatever was in the SHA-256 ended up being that uh, pretty influential piece of information. Yeah, let me day. jump in real quick and comment on this Hillman tweet. We had a, an incident recently where there were some questions around Binance moving some stablecoin backing. They had a very confused response. This is an incredibly confused response. Basically, what he's saying, at least as I read it, is it's either false or maybe law enforcement leaked information. So he's saying maybe it's true that my CEO has had a red notice issued or will soon. What the hell? Unhinged. Like, well, he does say I, I, that, number one, my bet is number one. My bet is it's BS. Sure, and but if you're I'm the PR head for a company... Sorry, go ahead. Well, he's he, here's the thing, though. If he wanted to really do some misdirecting and get people to stop looking at some of the stuff that we know is going on, what better way than to send us down a QAnon rabbit hole looking for a conspiracy where people, you know, in the company or wherever are out there trying to, uh, you know, send out encrypted messages on GitHub that let me just exist. say very clearly, if you're the head of PR for a major corporation, you do not even publicly entertain the possibility that your CEO is about to be arrested by international we, law enforcement. We got to like, go. There is no profit in that. We'll okay, see you guys next Sorry. week. This is The Hash on Coindesk TV. We'll discuss Binance another day. Check us out on the podcast network. See you guys tomorrow. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. 
We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, the hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.